0: Welcome, everybody. Good evening. We are so happy to be back learning with you for this El-Sman, um, at Tresha for the second part of the Periphery of Redemption, the Torah readings of Rosh Hashanah with Rabbi Wendy Amser. Um, as you come into the Zoom room, just after this, I'm going to invite you to become a panellist. Um, you should accept that invitation. It just means that you can be part of the Zoom room if you decide to turn on your camera or if you want to unmute yourself when Rabbi Wendy invites questions or comments. When you're not speaking, um, we just ask that you keep yourself on mute. It minimises the background noise so we can all hear each other. Um, although of course you can unmute to ask your questions and comments. They are always welcome in the chat, or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, then um, then in the Facebook comments. I will be sharing the source sheet in the chat for people who want to share, uh, who want to follow along independently. And I will also be sharing my screen so that you can um, see the, the sources as Rabbi Wendy is teaching. Uh, and with that, over to Rabbi Wendy. Thanks, Delinas. Should I wait a moment for people to be in? I'm I'm inviting people into the uh into the main room now, but they can hear you. Um they can hear you in the in the attendee room as well. So it's up to you. Amazing.
1: Um all right, well then I guess we will get started. All right. Um okay. So, if you remember, hello hello, Sandra. If you Remember last week when we had left off, uh we left off at the very end of chapter 16. Uh Ishmael had just been born. Um Abraham named him Ishmael. We were talking about the fact that Abraham might well think that the baby's name should be Ishmael because his prayer to God asking for a child has been heard by God, so God has heard him. But we know in fact based on the, what the angel tells Agar that really the baby's name is Ishmael because God has heard uh, Hagar's affliction. And if you remember, Avram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So that was the end of chapter 16. If we look at the first source over here um, in our sources for tonight, um, thank you so much, Nas. So if we look at the first source over here, right? We, we see that the Torah jumps 13 years between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. We're told that Avram now is 99 years old. God appears to Avram. And uh, offers him uh, many great things. If you see in verse 2, God says, I'll give you, I'll give my covenant between me and you. I'll increase you many, uh, I'll make you into many. Avram falls on his face. God continues to speak to him. In verse 4, God offers, uh, God Says, Here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Uh, your name will no longer be Avram. Your name will now become Avraham. Uh, because you will become the father of many nations. In verse 6, God says um, that God will uh, increase Avraham manifold, Avram will become many nations, and uh, kings will 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 descend from Avram. Um and not only that but uh in verse eight God promises Avram that his descendants will inherit this land of Canaan. Um and in verse nine God sort of articulates a very particular um aspect of the covenant, which is uh, that Avram and all of the males in his household will circumcise themselves. And Avram accepts all of this without, without any sort of pushback, right? He accepts the name change, he accepts the command to circumcise himself and all the male members of his family he seems very happy with all the blessings. Um, but then God continues on in this sort of second paragraph after the ellipses in verse 15. God then says to Avram, Sarai ishtacha, lo tikra et shema sarai, ki sarah shema. Actually, you're not the only one who's going to have a name change, Avraham. Your name used to be Avraham, and now it's Avraham. And your wife's name used to be Sarai, and now it will be Sarah. Not only will her name be changed, but God says, I will bless her in verse 15. And also, I will give you a son with her. Uh, I'll bless her. She will also become many nations. Kings will also descend from her. And at this last, this last statement of God, this is where Abram kind of, uh it sort of is, is too astonished, right? We're told in verse 17, Baipul mm-hmm. Avram falls on his face, he laughs, he says in his heart, is it really possible that I'm going to have a child now at a hundred years of age? Bim Sarah, Habati Shim and Sarah, she's 90, is she going to have a child now? um now remember abram's other son was born when he was 86 that wasn't hard for him to imagine but uh, but now that he's 100 he just can't imagine it he can't imagine sarah having a child either right all of the other promises god has made him all the other requests god has asked for him those abram accepts you know without seemingly thinking twice about it but this last promise is kind of too much for him and so abram says to god in verse 18 vayomer elohim says to God, you know, no thanks, I don't really need this other child, if only my son Yishmael could live before you, right? I, I know that I'm supposed to become a great nation, uh, which I'm very excited about, and my descendants will inherit the land of Canaan, but I already have a child, I have Yishmael, I don't need any other children, right? That's that's all, Yishmael is all I need. God responds in verse 19, Elohim, we can scroll down a bit later, that would be great, um, or, I guess, go to the next page. Uh, I'll keep reading meanwhile, right? So, Sarah says, uh, Abram says, um, Your wife Sarah will give birth to a son, the Karat et Shemo Yitzchak. Uh, you'll name this child Yitzchak. And I will establish my my eternal covenant with this child that you're going to have with Sarah. Uh, and God says to Aram in verse 20, but also regarding Ishmael, don't worry. He'll also be blessed. He'll also become a great nation. 12 princes will descend from him. Um, but, uh, but my special covenant that, that I'm going to give to, uh, to Yitzchak, asher this is in verse 21. My special covenant I will give to Yitzchak, who uh, Sarah will give birth to, la mo'ed hazeh this time next year. Now, this kind of encounter between God and Avram is really very surprising, right? Avram, for the most part, kind of accepts whatever God offers him with, with great joy and, you know, Abram is willing to do whatever God asks him to do, and there's something about this offer of, a, of another child with Sarah, though, that seems to sort of stretch Abram's imagination too far. He can't really picture it, and he also doesn't seem like he wants to picture it, right? He, he has his child, Yishmael. It doesn't seem like he has been uh, sort of thinking about having any other children. He's totally satisfied with Ishmael as his child, um, and he doesn't imagine that Sarah is thinking about having a child either. now, um Lilinas, if we can just go to the next page for one moment to source number two, um, we have here the commentary of of a barbanel on this set of verses. um and in source number two, Benel says, uh, you see, Lilinas, it's the next page on page three.. Um, God responds to Avraham's statement of, if only Ishmael could live before you. Oh, sorry, I think maybe we're a little too far. We can just go to the top. Yeah, perfect. Um, by saying, aval Sarah ishtacha, right? God responds by saying, no, no, your wife, Sarah, will be the one to have this child. And Barbanel says, what, what it is that God is really saying is, Avraham, atacha shavta shekola tova asher yiadati lecha laasot lecha yeb avorecha. Avram, you thought it was all about you. You thought that all of the good that I promised to do for you was for your sake. You thought the whole story was your story. And therefore, the moment you had your son Yishmael, you thought that the birth of Yitzchak would be totally unnecessary. Because you thought that the covenant was all about you. Now, if you remember last week, we were talking about the fact that, like, right from the start, the question has been uh, Is Sarah really a part of this covenant or not? Right? God spoke to Avram, God promised Avram that he would become a great nation. We knew right from the start that Sarah was, so Sarah, back then she was called Sarai, was described as an Akara, as a woman who was unable to have children. And so the question throughout is Is Sarah part of this? promise of becoming a great nation, or is the promise directed towards Avraham? And any child that he would have with anybody would be the covenantal child. And what Abarbanel is saying is that Avram's Abraham, understanding of the answer to this question was that he thought it was all about him. right? He thought that all of the things that God has, had promised him were just for him, um, and the only thing that mattered was that the covenantal child be Avram's child, so much so that once he has Ishmael, he doesn't imagine that there needs to be any other child. He thinks that the birth of Yitzchak is l'lo right? There's no need for it. It's always an interesting thing to think about, you know, the birth of a child as being unnecessary, right? But That's the way Abarbinal describes it. Uh, Avram thought of the birth of uh, Yitzchak as being unnecessary. Abar continues, So much so that you asked that Yishmael live before me and that he be the covenantal child. Uh, Barbanel says that when God answers and says, but your wife Sarah will have the child, really what God means is, mm-hmm. you should know, Avram, that it, the matter is not as you think. It is not the case that the covenant is all about you. Right? Sarah is the one who is worthy of bearing this covenantal child. right? Just as you are a necessary parent, she is also a necessary parent. And Ishmael, your son who you love so much, is not Sarah's son. Right? Because Sarah is a necessary part of the covenant, because she also has to be the parent of this covenantal child. Therefore, the birth of Yitzhak is is entirely integral and necessary to the continuation of the covenant, even though Yishmael will also live and be well. right? He's not going to die. He will live on. The reason why another child has to be born is not that anything bad is going to happen to Yishmael, but just that Yishmael is, is not the covenantal child because the covenant was never just about Abraham. It was always also about Sarai. So it's nice to get this affirmation over here, right? You know, maybe up until now, uh, the text hasn't been clear whether or not Sarah is really a part of things. But here we're told, like, actually, she really is, right? How, her, she is going to be the mother of this covenantal child, and and you know, she's an entirely integral part of the of the of this founding family. Um, now, if we can go back, please, Lena, back to the page that we were on before. Um, if we can scroll up to chapter eighteen, right? So, uh, so I. I Perfect. Right. So the end of chapter 17, I left it out in the interest of time. Avram goes, he circumcises himself, all the members of his family, including his son Ishmael. Avram mm-hmm. is 99 years old when he has a circumcision. Ishmael is 13 years old. All the males are circumcised. Then we pick up in chapter 18. This is the beginning of Parsha Lech right? We have this famous encounter where these three men uh, come and visit Avraham. He invites them in. It turns out that they are not, they are not men. They are angels or some sort of Divine messenger uh, messengers Avram offers them all sorts of food they they accept um and after he brings them in verse eight he brings them he brings them butter and milk he brings them meat there's a lot of concern right other otherwise he's really serving them the meat and milk together but he brings them this whole feast of a meal um they are sitting under the tree he is standing at their service at the end of verse eight and now in verse nine they say to him they say, Where's your wife, Sarah? And he says, Oh, she's in the tent. And uh, one of the men then says, I will return next year in this season, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah is listening. She hears what this uh, angel is saying. Uh, she's right at the entrance. He's kind of just behind the entrance. Um, and then we're told in verse 11, Avraham and Sarah are are elderly. They're getting on in, in their years. Sarah is no longer menstruating. She no longer has the way of, of women about her. And when she hears this angel say that she is going to be uh, the, the mother of a child, her reaction in verse 12 is, Sarah, kind of laughs inwardly. And she says, Now that I am old, am I going to have sort of the pleasure of having a child? Um, And also, my master, my husband is is old. Then in verse 13, God turns to Avram, and God says, What was it laughing? Uh, saying will I really give birth given that I am given that I am old now it's interesting that God asks Abraham this question right Sarah's the one who's laughed Abraham doesn't even know about the laugh. he's not inside the tent uh God asks Abraham why is it that Sarah is laughing uh, and then the God's question continues in verse 14 right is anything too wondrous for God um, I will return to you uh oh, sorry no I said that wrong I said it from memory I should have been reading it um uh I will uh write is anything true wonders for God um I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah will will have a child now it's interesting to think about why is God asking the question to Avram? Um and uh Rabbi Sober has an answer for this that that I have always really liked. Rabbi Silber's answer is that God is is asking Avram because God is saying to Avram, why doesn't Sarah know about this, right? I just gave you the most important news, right? I told you that you and Sarah would be having a child together. How is it that you didn't immediately go and tell her, right? How is it possible that you, know, you and all the other men of the household were circumcised, right? Some amount of time has had to have gone by. How, how have you not told her this already? And it almost seems that in verse 14, when God says, Is anything true wondrous for God? It's as if God is saying to Avram, do you not really think this child is going to be born is that why you haven't told sarah right is it but you don't you don't really think it's going to happen you don't really think it's possible um otherwise how, how could you not have told your wife this right she's been longing for a child for years and years and years and you, you know you knew that she was going to have one how could you not not share this news with her um i think that actually is even the more generous reading of it, right, that Avram doesn't tell her because he doesn't really believe that it will happen. I think maybe the less generous reason why Avram hasn't told her and why God is asking Avram why he hasn't told her is that maybe it just wasn't even so important for Avram, right? He has Ishmael. If, you know, if another baby comes along, like, that's okay, but it doesn't really, it's not really something that Avram seems like he is particularly excited about right he his response when God first tells him about the child is just to say I already have a son I have Ishmael um and maybe the fact that Avram hasn't told Sarah about it means that you know maybe it slipped his mind it wasn't wasn't the most newsworthy thing that that had happened to him that day and so he doesn't doesn't tell her um which is you know I think a very sad way to think about it um yeah Sandra please
2: um, so um, I'm struck by the fact that um, in Hannah's prayer, and we will have read this already, right before. It, it, well, this is day two, so day one we read Hannah's. We would read, read Hannah's prayer, I and mean, she, she, the thing she emphasizes two, three, four times is nothing is too great for God. Mm-hmm. Um, he will fill. He will fill an empty womb. He will mm-hmm. feed starving man, I mean, she um, analogizes herself to this, the man who needs bread, and bread to her, it, her son is necessary to her for breath as, as as much as bread is to a starving man. And she says in three different ways, either directly or in metaphor, um, that nothing is too great for God, nothing is too great for God. So we're reading that, and we're reading this, and just a few minutes ago, you know, you, you, uh, we ta- you asked the rhetorical question, um, why, why is a why did Abraham laugh? And I think the answer is coming right at us. Mm-hmm. he laughed because he because he he's saying, oh well, I'm old and this now. And he just didn't believe like Hannah believed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hannah absolutely, she absolutely believed mm-hmm. um, that he that once Ellie said to her, go home. God will fulfill your request. And he didn't even know she was asking for a son. He didn't know what the request was, but he was so embarrassed that he took her for a drunkard that he, and she was so articulate to him that he, he, was, he, was, he was embarrassed. And the Gemara says that, that he actually, in essence, he was apologizing to her and he said, go home, your request will be granted. I mean, Ellie, Hannah, they, they didn't have one doubt and abraham has the doubt and i think that what god is doing in in verse four of uh, 13 and 14 when he says why is she le- why is sarah laughing doesn't she know that that i can do anything nothing is above me beyond my ability i think god is talking right to abraham right yeah. to his heart that's that's what i think but i'm struck i'm really struck um, um because we're juxtaposing hannah to abraham and we were, we're, we're uh, um, Reading the haftoras and the, and the Torah readings, and we're getting ready for um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and here we have Chana, who doesn't have a shred of doubt. Neither right. does Ellie.
1: Ellie doesn't even so, ask the question, and so I wonder. Something I don't, I'm not sure what you would say about this. I think it's partly because it's not just that Chana has this belief, but it's something that she really wants to have happen. Right? It really matters to her, so she believes it partly because she she has the faith to believe it, but also because this is the thing that she most wants. So she has to believe it. Whereas it, it feels like for Avram, like it doesn't really matter to him so much, right? The baby
2: could be born, the baby could not be born. He has Ishmael, things are good for him. He, he has the spare, there's an heir and a spare. So he's got, he's got the spare, he doesn't have to, or he's got the heir and Yitzhak would be the spare. Yeah,
1: okay. okay. And and also, right? But like it's it's not it's right. Otherwise, why would he not have told Sarah, right? Maybe just doesn't, you know, doesn't mean it's so important. Exactly. And and the truth is that's something that we we've seen a little bit with Abraham last week, also, right? Until the children are born, they're kind of not real for him, right? Remember when, when Hagar was pregnant with Ishmael. Avram said to Sarai, right? here's your maidservant in your hand, do whatever you want to her, right? He doesn't feel at all protective over his unborn child. It's almost like the unborn child like, kind of doesn't so much exist for him. Whereas once Ishmael is born, we'll see in a few verses, uh, Avram, you know, cares very much about him. And and I wonder if something similar is going on with Yitzchak, right? If Yitzchak is actually born, Avram, you know, whatever the baby will be born or not born like it doesn't it doesn't seem to sort of move him so much um but then once he's born you know then Avram will will be more invested in him um okay at any rate so so what we know from this part of the story is that Avram up until now has kind of really thought that the covenant was just about him um and God has had to teach him that, no, Sarah is really a part of the covenant as well. Even so, Avram doesn't report to Sarah about the fact that she's going to have a child. Instead, this, this new messenger or angel comes and tells her. Um, and uh, if you look at the very last verse over here in um, in, in um, chapter 18, right, this is the very end of of source one, we're told, But Sarah lemor lo tzachati ki Sarah, when she hears God saying this, she denies it and she says, I didn't laugh. Um, uh, and we're told the reason why she denies it is because she was afraid. And God, in kind of the only recorded conversation that we have between God and Sarah, God says to her, "Lo no, you really did laugh. Right. That really did happen. Now. verse is really interesting to me, right? Sarah denies laughing because she's afraid and God responds to her directly and says, no, you did laugh. So the first question that I had about this is what is Sarah afraid of, right? We're told she denies it because she's afraid. What is she afraid of? Um, And then why does God say back to her, no, you laughed"? What does that even mean? Um, And so I think, you know, one way to read it is that Sarah is afraid that somehow her laughter is seen as sort of disrespectful to God, right? You know, God has just said, pale me Hashem davar is anything too wondrous for God," and Sarah is is afraid that maybe God will interpret her laughing as like a, a lack of respect or a lack of faith in God. That's one one possible thing that she could be afraid of. Um, I think another possible way to read the verse that I find a little more intriguing is I think she might be afraid that because she laughed, God will sort of take back God's off. God has said, Sarah will have a child. Sarah laughs when she hears it. Um, And now I think she might be afraid that maybe this was something that God was serious about and maybe she has somehow forfeited it by laughing. And so she very much wants to sort of deny that laughter because actually she really, really does want this child. Right? For Abram, the child seems to be kind of something he could take relief. Whereas for Sarah, this is something that uh, is is very important to her and she doesn't want to miss out on her chance. And so I think one of the things that, that feels kind of interesting to me about this whole um, episode with Sarah is that it, it seems as if earlier Sarah was really focused on trying to have a child, right? We knew back in chapter 16 When she realized that she herself, right, remember, she, she imagines or she believes that God is preventing her from having a child, so she tries to find that workaround where she'll have a surrogate, she'll use Hagar to have a child. Um, but once that doesn't work out, right, once it becomes clear that the, the relationship is not going to be smooth, she's not going to be just able to adopt Hagar's child as her own, it seems like Sarah then kind of gives up on it, right? She we don't see her trying to find a different surrogate we don't see we don't see her trying to have a child in any other sort of way it seems as if she has accepted the fact that she's not going to have a child Avram has this covenantal child maybe what Sarah believes about herself is that maybe she also thinks she's not really a part of a covenant that it's really all about Avram it seems that she's kind of one way or the other made her peace with this so much so that when she hears the angel say that she'll have a child, her reaction is, is just to kind of laugh, right? It's funny to her because it's it's kind of not something that she's even thinking about anymore. Um, and then when God says, um, why is Sarah laughing? Is anything too wondrous for God? Sarah realizes that like, actually, maybe this thing that she's wanted for so long is really a possibility for her. And then the thought that she could have kind of lost out on that by laughing is, is terrible, right? And so I think, it's possible to read the words that she's afraid. Maybe what she's afraid of is that God will interpret her laughter as a reason to sort of not give her this child. And she really doesn't want that to happen, so much so that she's willing to deny the laughter. Um, and uh, and then God says, "Lo kitzachat. no, you really did laugh. And I think one way to read that is God is saying, no, you laughed, but, but it's OK. You'll still have the child, right? I'm, I'm not taking this back, right? Yes, I know that you laughed. I know that you really want this child. It will still happen, right? The fact that you laughed, kind of, you know, won't, won't, won't change that. You'll still, you'll still get to have this baby. And I think the sense of Sarah as kind of awakening to sort of this wondrous possibility that she's given up on is something that we hear uh, when, if we move down, lilianas please, to source number three, right? This is the actual Torah reading for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. All of the texts that we've seen till now our kind of preparation for that, right? This is what we read on in the morning of uh, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, um, right? We're told here in verse one, vashem pakad Sarah kaasher amar. God um, remembers Sarah as God had said that God would. God does for Sarah what God said that God would do. Uh, Sarah conceives in verse two, she gives birth to a son. And we're told, la-moed asher The child is born at exactly the time that God said so. And I think there's a lot of sense over here in these first two verses that God is fulfilling God's word, right? There's a, you know, the the God remembers as God had said. God does for Sarah what God had spoken and said that God would do. The baby is born at exactly the time that God said so. Um, And I think this is both a way of us knowing that this, the birth of Yitzhak is very, very deliberate, both in the timing and in the fact of it. Um, And I think also given that a lot of the the, uh, the 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 description in chapter 18 is of this covenant that God is setting up. I think we're being told over here that God is a very reliable member of the covenant, right? God does exactly what God says that God will do at exactly the time that God says that, that God will do it. Right? There's a sense that everything about the birth of Yitzchak is happening, is unfolding exactly as God as God wanted it to. Um, then in verse three, Abram names the baby uh, Yitzchak, in verse four, God um Avram circumcises the child as God commanded Avram to do, right? There's a sense that like all of the like um sort of uh basic things that need to need to be happening seem you know Avram's on top of it, right? He names the baby, he circumcises the baby, he's, you know, he's tending to all the practical concerns. Um, We don't really hear anything about how Avram feels about the baby being born, right? Avram's Avram's on it, right? There are things he's supposed to be doing, and he does them. Um, and it's only when we get to verses six and seven that we really get a sense of um the kind of the, the feelings that are going on, right? In verse six, I see that I accidentally left out some of the Hebrew. But in verse six, we're told, right? Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears about this is going to laugh with me. Um, and then she goes on and in the next verse, she says, who would have said about Abraham that Sarah would, would nurse children? Because I have borne him a child in his old age. Um, I think both of these verses are very interesting because, first of all, we get the sense of Sarah kind of experiencing the wonder of of the moment, right? She says, This is really very unusual, right? What is happening right now, there's almost kind of like a rush of words coming from her, right? We have not heard Sarah speak this much yet in Reishi, right? Basically, right, we've heard her. Say to Avram, you know, I'm so angry at you about the way that my maidservant Tagar is treating me. We heard her say to Avram before that, uh, God is preventing me from having a child, uh, come have a child with my maidservant. Um But this is like two verses in a row, that's more than we've heard Sarah speaking before. And the way that she's talking kind of just sounds like it's a it's a language that's filled with wonder. Um and I think it's also very interesting that it seems like she's processing the wonder of the event. By imagining the way that it will look and sound to other people, right? She says, God has made, right? God has made kind of laughter for me everyone who hears about this is going to laugh with me. Whoever would have said that this would happen, right? She's kind of imagining other people sort of hearing about this, seeing the fact that she's had a child. And it's only by kind of imagining their reaction to the event that it seems as if she's able to, uh, to kind of really understand it or really kind of wrap her mind around it. Um, Sandra, were you
2: gonna say something before? Um, Will you be able to address even a little bit of the comparison and God's reaction to Abraham's external overt laughter versus God's, which was basically, we haven't heard a reaction Mm -hmm. to it. There's no textual reaction of God to it, to God's Mm -hmm. almost hostile, but you've given it a really good interpretation, not not hostile at all, reaction to Sarah's unvoiced she left the kirba she she thought of laughter so can you address that at all it's something that plagues me it troubles yeah, me i i totally agree
1: i mean right so Avram said said to god back in in chapter 17 yishmael yichuel yichuel only ishmael would live before you and god says no nope, sarah will have a child right i'm rejecting your request avram it's not just about you and ishmael you're going to have this child, the child will be Yitzchak, Yitzchak will be the covenantal child, but don't worry, Ishmael will do fine as well. Um, I think that if we read it as God saying to Sarah, like, hey, Sarah, why aren't you a believer? Then it's very hard to understand, right? Because, like, yeah, why why would Sarah be more criticized, for the same kind of laughing that, you know, as, as Avram was? Um, that's why I really like Rabbi Silver's read of it, right? That the Sarah is not asking Sarah, why are you laughing? It's asking Avram, why is Sarah laughing? Why doesn't she know about this? Right. Why is this why is this something that you haven't shared with her? Do you, Avram, think that anything is too wondrous for me? Did you not tell her because you thought it wasn't possible? That that that's the way I would choose to read it, because otherwise I agree with you. It's very difficult. Um, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't, yeah, I don't know what I would say about that. Um, One other,
2: do you think that she seems to be um, overflowing with words almost like a young girl? And so I was thinking since God did give her back her Edna and she had her breasts filled with milk and her they were not raisins. They were not uh, her breasts weren't shriveled like raisins anymore. And she was getting she was rejuvenated. So I, I, I often think that her her spate of words is very um, like in her 20s or late teens. It's very girlish. And maybe and maybe she's youthful in more ways than one. Maybe she's back. You know, maybe she's back uh, and this flowing of sap and milk in her is is has rejuvenated her not just um for purposes of nurse having and nursing a baby, but she's she's youthful again and and all these wonderful things come out of her mouth and she's just looking at the world with wonder. Look what God did for me. So I, I thought, heard that, although I wouldn't I wouldn't wanna think that like
1: you know sort of a an ability to speak poetically is like only for young people, right? I think that there's no. a sense like yeah
2: different
1: from- she was speaking yeah. So-, yeah. so right so you could see it as like as an age thing i would see it more as like she's like alert to how amazing this that is, is. Right? she that feels is. it and and she's moved to speak about it right okay. like as if maybe she had ordinarily been sort of reticent and now she's so moved by the experience that the the words are kind of coming out of her right I like- Thank and you. The words, the words kind of have a feel of wonder about them, right? Yeah. yeah. Like whoever would have thought that this would happen. Right. Who could have imagined? Who would have thought? Everyone is laughing with me. Right. And there's a sense that, um, yeah, I think, I think she, yeah, I think there's, it just, it feels to me like there's a lot of joy in those jubisukis. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. we haven't really heard Sarah expressing joy anywhere before. So very nice about
2: about hearing
0: it. Over. Thank you, thank uh, you. Oh, thank you. Okay, so at any rate, um, we're told in verse eight. Um, sorry, about, Wendy. I think we oh, just have one more question, if that's oh, okay. Please, is it from Emily? Yes. Great, Emily. I think you're on mute. Just to let you know,
2: maybe her amazement is also at, oh wow, I have a role in this. I have a place in the covenant. That's also, I, I can hear that sense of amazement at that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I, I knew that I was gonna be in
1: this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right, it seems as if in the beginning, she really thought she could be a part of it. And then I think once her attempt to have the baby with Hagar through Hagar is shut down, it seems as if she just sort of steps back and she's like, okay, this is just the way it's gonna be. And it doesn't seem as if she's, uh, you know, angry about it. It just seems as if she's accepted it, which is why, I think her first reaction to being told that she's going to have a baby is just to kind of laugh about it, to be like, no, that's not for me, right? I I wasn't really thinking about that. And then, um, yeah, I think that's why she gets so so afraid, right, when she thinks that maybe actually... You know, she might have might have missed out on it. Um. Okay. So at any rate, uh, we're now at the top of page four, right in verse eight. We're told, uh, Yitzchak the boy grows older, Vaigamal, he's weaned. Avraham makes a big party on the day that he's weaned, and then we're told vateres sarat ben hagar mitzriyta shayodal avraham mitzachek. Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the the Egyptian, whom she had birthed to Avraham, mitzachek laughing. Right, um, and something about what Sarah sees um, gets uh, gets her so upset that she is going to demand that um, that Yishmael and Hagar be banished. Now, the verse doesn't at all tell us what it is that she sees. Um, Lulnaz, well, if it's okay, if we can just scroll down quickly to page five to source four, right? There's a famous midrash over here in Breshi Rabbah that has many different possibilities of like what it is that Sarah sees. Um, It begins with Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai saying, Rabbi Akiva used to interpret this verse of Sarah seeing uh, the son of Hagar laughing um, in a shameful way, in a disgraceful way. But I I read it more positively. Um, And so then Shimon bar Yochai quotes Three different opinions. The first of which is Rabbi Akiva. The second one is Rabbi Ishmael, The third one is Rabbi Elazar ben Rabbi Yosia They each interpret mitzachek in very, very negative ways. Rabbi Akiva says, "What is mitzachek? Mitzachek means um, sexual immorality. How do we know that? Because when a Potiphar's potifar's wife uh, accuses Yosef of trying to rape her, what he says is ba'ilaya evida ivri ba'ilaya ivri asher your Hebrew slave came to uh, to laugh at me. It's a cheipi, and there it means to sort of sexually assault me. Um, so uh, so Rabbi Akiva thinks that what it is that Sarah sees Yishmael doing is basically, uh, is she accuses him of rape, raping his married women. Um, which is what, of course, Mrs. Potifari is accusing Yosef of trying to do. Um, And then uh, the second opinion that we have is Rabbi Ishmael, he says, oh yes, litzachek is also very, very terrible. It means idolatry. And how do we know that? Because In the verse in chapter 32 of Exodus, when the people of Israel are worshiping the golden calf, it says, uh, They they sit to eat and drink, and then they get up and their is connected to idolatry. So it must be that what Sarah sees Yishmael doing is committing idolatry. And the third opinion is Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi HaGalili. He says, no, tzchok is really a reference to murder. How do we know that? Because in the book of Samuel, when the two warring generals, um, Avner and Yoav, uh, Avner is the general of Yishboshet, the descendant of Shaul, um, Yoav is the general of um, of uh, of David, when they uh, they basically have their soldiers kind of fight each other in this kind of gladiator type combat. And the way they describe it is, let the, the young men come and sort of laugh before us and what that means is you know fight each other to the death and so uh rabbi lazar the son of rabbi Osei-Lili, says really what sarah saw uh ishmael doing was uh was trying to kill yitzchak so obviously if we see Litzachek as being one of these three kind of most serious sins right either um uh you know rape or murder or idolatry then of course as soon as sarah sees ishmael doing this you know she would, she would think that Yishmael has to leave the household. Um, but Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, kind of towards the bottom over here. But on Omer I need both the Shabbat.
2: But Rabbi
1: Shimon Bar Yochai says, no, no. But I read it as being more positive. I think the language of Tzchok is really the language of Yerusha. It's really the language of inheritance. Lina, if we can scroll a little more, we'll get to the bottom of the Midrash. Thank you so much. We're told, Right When Yitzchak, our ancestor, was born, everybody rejoiced. And Yishmael said to them, You people are such fools. Why are you making such a big deal about this baby? I'm I'm still the firstborn. I'm the one with the double portion, but make a big deal about me. Don't pay attention to this baby. Right? We know this because of what Sarah says to Abraham. What she says to him is, We're about to see that first, because she makes it be about inheritance, right? The son of this maid will not inherit with my son. It must be that what she saw Yishmael doing was somehow kind of, the laughter had something to do with inheritance, with trying to claim the inheritance that she was assuming was going to go to Yitzhak. So either Sara sees Ishmael committing terrible crimes, and uh, that is why she wants him sent away, which makes Ishmael into a uh, worse character and makes Sarah into a better character, or she hears Ishmael assuming, quite reasonably, that as the firstborn, he was had the rights of the firstborn, and uh, she does not want that to happen, so she demands that he be, be sent away. Um, and so we can go back now to the earlier source, back on page four. At any rate, Sarah sees Ishmael doing this, uh, maybe just a little further down if possible. Great, perfect, um, amazing. Uh, right, so then in verse 10, right, Sarah says to Avram, Garei shama zot cast away, banish this maidservant and her son, because the son of this maidservant will not inherit with my son with son. Now, something that's worth noticing is the difference between Sarah's language here and the way she had initially uh, spoken to Abraham when Hagar was disrespecting her, right? If you remember, Back in chapter 16, what she said to Abraham was, alecha, my wrong is upon you. Anohi natati et shifchati bechakecha, I gave you my maid serpent into your bosom. Soon as she realized she was pregnant, I was lighter in her eyes. She began to disrespect me. May God judge between us. So there, Sarah was also very upset. She wanted Avraham to do something but she didn't at all make it clear what she wanted him to do, right? She just said, I'm so upset, my wrong is upon you, this is all your fault, look at what Hagar is doing. And it seems like she was hoping that he would then intervene, right? Maybe make her feel better, maybe tell Hagar to stop disrespecting her, right? But she doesn't actually tell Avram back then what it is that she wants him to do. And of course, it doesn't seem like he knows what to do. Right? He doesn't, doesn't seem to respond there the way that she had hoped. So here she's not taking any chances, right? She is very explicit. She doesn't say, I'm so upset by the behavior of Ishmael. You really need to do something about it. She does not say that. Instead, she makes it super clear. She says, you have to banish this maidservant and her son because he will not inherit with my son with his son. Um, and I think this is both a measure of Sarah kind of figuring out more about her husband, Abraham, figuring out that he's the sort of person who, if she wants something to happen, just to speak very directly to you. And I think it also gives us a sense of her sort of perceived difference in status, right? It seemed like earlier, when she didn't have a child and Hagar was pregnant with Avram's child, maybe she was feeling more vulnerable. She felt like she had to sort of express her displeasure, but hope that Avram would figure out what to do. Now that she has the it seems as if she has this sort of newfound confidence, right? She can say exactly what she wants and she can be very clear about it. She does not beat around the bush at all, right? She has a very clear purpose. Um, and if you remember, Back in chapter 16, when Sarah said that thing about, oh, my wrong is upon you, look look what Hagar is doing. If you remember, Avram's response then was like, all right, Sarah, do whatever you want. You know, here's your maidservant, she's at your hand, do whatever you want. Here, though, Abram is not willing to do that, right? He's not willing to say, okay, Hagar's your maidservant. Do whatever you want. You want to throw her out? Go ahead. He's not willing to do that. Instead, we're told in verse 11, Abram is actually very, very upset about this. Um, Not really about Hagar, but he's upset about his son, on account of his son, right? For him, Ishmael is his son, right? For 13 years, he thought Ishmael was going to be his only son, right? And now he has another son, but Ishmael is still his beloved beloved child, he's not remotely interested in sending him away. Um, So much so that God has to intervene in verse 12, right? God says to matecha. don't worry. Don't let it be bad in your eyes regarding the boy and your main servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you to do. Because Yitzchak is your covenantal child, and Sarah knows that. You, Abraham, you are equivocating. You don't really you're not really committed to Yitzchak as your covenantal child. That's why you're having a hard time with Sarah's request. But um, but Yitzchak is the covenantal child. Do whatever Sarah tells you to. But don't worry. I'll also make the son of your, your maidservant into a great nation because he's also your child. So sure enough, Avram wakes up the next morning. He takes some bread. He takes a... Uh, um, A bottle of water. He gives them both to Hagar. He sends Hagar and the boy away. She travels out into the wilderness of Beersheba and she gets lost. In verse 15 we're told the water runs out. Uh, They run out of water and she sort of flings the boy down near some bushes um, and she goes and she sits a bow shot away and she says, I, I can't bear to see my child die. I'm going to go sit a little bit further away. Um, And she um, lifts up her voice and she cries. And then in verse 17, we're told, Right, God hears the voice of the boy. Um, Now, this is interesting, right? Because we don't hear the voice of the boy, right? We haven't heard that Ishmael is crying. Um, And it doesn't seem like Hagar knows that Ishmael is crying either, because Hagar is like, flung him aside and sat far enough away that she's not going to be uh, aware of his of his dying so his own mother doesn't hear him we the readers don't hear him but but god hears his voice right god hears his voice and and the angel uh now calls out hagar from heaven and says to her don't worry hagar don't don't be afraid God has heard the voice of the boy where where he is. And I think that this actually is kind of one of the, the central messages of this, this Torah portion and maybe why we read it on Rosh Hashanah. I think there's a, a way in which it's not surprising that God listens to Avram when Avram asks for things, because Avram is the main character, right? Of course, God is going to protect Avram and God is going to listen to him. But Yeshua is kind of a peripheral character, right? He's Avram's son but he's not really, he's not the covenantal child. He's not the one that the whole book is going to be about, right? He's not the main character. Um, we the readers don't know that he's crying, his own mother doesn't hear him, but the text tells us God God hears him, right? God is aware of the cries of everyone, even the people who don't necessarily seem central to the story. Um, and I think there's a way in which uh, the pasuk is telling us Yishmael is central to his own story, right? He's the main character in his own story. God hears him. And I think, you know, by choosing to have this be the Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah, I think it's encouraging. It's supposed to encourage all of us, right? God will hear all of us wherever we are. We are, you know, we are each the main character in our own story, and God is reading each of our stories, right? God wants to hear what each of us has to say. God is able to sort of respond to all of us. It's not that God is only focusing on Avraham and Yitzhak. God equally, equally hears Yishmael, even if, even if no one else around him does. Um, and so the angel then says to Hagar, etanar, et yadef bo. Go and lift up the boy, support him, he'll become a great nation. And then in verse 19, God opens Hagar's eyes. And suddenly she sees this well of water that might have been there all along, right? But somehow she didn't see it before. She goes, she fills up her flask with water. She gives some water to the boy. Then we're told in verse 20, God uh, God is with the boy. He continues to grow. Um, he uh, lives in the desert. He becomes an archer. And then in verse 21, we're told he lives in the wilderness of Paran and his mother finds him a wife. Uh, from Egypt, where she is from. Um, okay, so that is kind of the end of the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Um is most of the Torah reading uh, for the first day of Rosh Hashanah it goes on a little further, um, uh with the description of Avimelech and Abraham, uh, them having a covenant together. But I would say this is the the core part of our story. Um, and I think that uh while it has sort of a, a powerful message about God hearing Ishmael wherever Ishmael is, um, and kind of maybe those who might think of themselves on the periphery as still being central to God's story about them. Um, the story does leave us with a lot of questions, right? There's something very strange about it. We have to wonder how could it be that Abraham loves Ishmael so much, right? Assumes that Ishmael is the answer to all of his prayers, doesn't even want to have another child because he so, uh, so much loves loves Ishmael. Um, uh, and then it seems like Abraham sends Ishmael away. And we never hear about Avram and Ishmael ever talking to each other again, right? And you kind of wonder, how could that be, right? How is it possible that Avram could have so quickly kind of severed this relationship? And also, several chapters later, when Avram dies, Ishmael comes back along with Yitzhak to bury Avraham. And you kind of wonder if Avraham really had sort of so summarily cut off contact with Ishmael, then why would Ishmael bother to come back for for Avraham's funeral? So uh, what I want to do in our remaining 10 minutes is look at two different uh, versions of a story of like kind of the afterlife of Avraham and Ishmael. The first one over here, thank you so much, Elidaz, is in Pirkei Durabi Eliezer. This is, um, Pirkei Durabi Eliezer is a midrash that comes from We think it's probably from uh, somewhere in North Africa, and it was probably put together at around the year 800 or 900 or so. Um, and um, and uh, this is the story that Pierre Rebilezer tells, right? We're told, uh, and, and in fact I should just mention this midrash kind of fits itself in between those last two verses that we just saw, right? Yishmael grows up, he lives in the wilderness of Paran, and then afterwards his mother finds him a wife Um, from from Egypt. And so this midrash kind of imagines itself situated between the two halves of that that ending. Um, Yishmael in the beginning is in the wilderness of Paran, um, and um, uh, Paran is often associated with Moab, and so we're told that while Yishmael is living there, he goes and he finds himself a wife from the daughters of Moab. Uh, Three years go by, Avram decides that he wants to go and visit his son. א בן ישבה לסראש מעל קמאל but he swears to Sarah that he's not going to get off his camel when he gets to the place that Ishmael is found. The reason why he has to do that, presumably, is that Sarah knows how much Avram still loves Ishmael. And, you know, maybe she would worry that if Ishmael got, you know, if Avram got off his camel where Ishmael was, he might not be willing to get back on his camel. So it's going to be a quick visit because he's not going to get off his camel. He gets there in the middle of the day. He finds Ishmael's wife, the Moabite woman. Uh, he says to her, Where's Ishmael? And the wife says, Oh, he and his mother went to bring some fruits and dates from the wilderness. Avraham then says to her, Please give me some bread and some water, because I'm so tired from traveling through the wilderness. And this wife says, I don't have any bread and I don't have any water. Um, And the assumption in the Midrash is that that's not true. She does have bread and water. She just kind of doesn't want to offer it to this strange man. So Avraham says to her, OK, well, when Ishmael comes home, please give him the following message. Tell him that an old man came from Canaan to see him and said, change your doorpost because it's not good for you. Right? It's a coded message. Um, and uh, sure enough, when Ishmael comes back, the wife tells him the message. And Yishmael understands it, right? He understands that the old man from Canaan was his father. He understands that change your doorpost because it's not good for you means you change your wife, she's not good for you. Uh, Yishmael understands it. Not only does he understand it, but he's also Willing to act on his father's device, advice. And he does, in fact, divorce this first wife. I always find that kind of interesting, right? You know, you could imagine Ishmael saying, "Like, Look, you sent me off with nothing. I almost died in the wilderness. You come to visit me. You don't even wait long enough to see me. And all you can tell me is that you don't like my wife, right? You could imagine Ishmael ignoring Avram's advice, but instead he understands it and he listens to it and he divorces the wife. Then um, the Midrash continues. His mother now goes and finds him a wife from her father's household, right? This is the end of the last verse that we saw. His mother finds him an Egyptian wife. This Egyptian's wife name is Fatima. Three more years go by. Avram decides to go and visit his son again. He swears to Sarah again that he's not gonna get off his camel. Again, he gets there in the middle of the day. Again, he finds Ishmael's wife, but now it is wife number two, Fatima. And he asks wife number two, he says, where is Ishmael? And, the wife says, Oh, he and his mother went out to herd some camels in the desert. They're not here right now. Um, Avram says to her, Please give me some bread and some water because I'm so tired from my journey. And wife number two immediately takes out bread and water and gives it to him. And we're told, Avram then stops and stands and prays before God. Um, and then suddenly Ishmael's home is filled with all manner of blessing. Um, when Yishmael comes home, the wife says, you know, this old man came from Canaan. I gave him some bread and some water. Suddenly, her house was filled with all these blessings. And what Ishmael understands now is that all along, his father has loved him. Right, Avram's mercies have been with with Ishmael all along. He's never stopped loving him, as the verse says, Kirachim aval banim." As the verse in Psalm says, "As a father has mercy on on children, that is the way uh, that is the way that Avram feels about Ishmael." So, I think this midrash is fantastic for several reasons. First of all, it kind of attempts to answer this question of how could it be that Avram could so you know totally severed his relationship with Ishmael, why would Ishmael come back and bury him? The Midrash imagines that they have this kind of continued relationship that that goes on. Um, I also really like this Midrash because the way that Avraham displays his love for Ishmael is by displaying a concern about Ishmael finding an appropriate spouse. Um, And that I think is, is a really sort of clever thing for the midrash to do because actually the way that we know that Avram loves Yitzhak is that Avram cares a lot about who Yitzhak marries right if you remember Avram sends a servant with 10 camels laden with treasure to find the right wife for Yitzhak and we find out over here that Avram loves Yishmael so he also really cares about who Yishmael will marry, Um, and if you remember, when the servant is trying to find the right wife for Yitzhak, the test the servant devises is to try to find a woman who's hospitable, who will not only offer him water, but offer his camel's water, and Avraham is kind of looking for the same quality in Yishmael's wife, right? He's looking for a daughter-in-law who will be hospitable. Daughter-in-law number one is not hospitable, she's not the right wife. Daughter-in-law number two is hospitable, and that is why Avraham kind of graces them with all of these blessings. Now, uh, in our last remaining four minutes, uh, if you can scroll down a little further, please, Liliana. So um, one of the great things that I, I learned about for the first time this year is here. I was talking to my friend Dr. Sherry Lowen, who is a professor up in Boston. She's a professor of Islamic and Jewish studies, and uh, she was telling me about a collection of texts called Hadith, which is basically like the Torah of Islam. Right, so the Quran is the Written text of Islam, but then there are these oral texts that were transmitted and that were eventually written down that are called hadith. Now, Hagar is not mentioned by name anywhere in the Quran. The closest we have to it is this one verse in the Quran where Avram says, I have made of some of my I have made some of my offspring dwell in a valley without cultivation. Um Uh, by your sacred house in order, O Lord, that they may offer prayer perfectly. So fill hearts among men with love towards them and provide them with fruits so that they may give thanks. So that's kind of the only sort of opaque reference to Hagar. Um, And the Hadith understands it as Avram brings Hagar and Ishmael out to the middle of nowhere, leaves them there, um, and uh, then kind of prays for them. And so the beginning of this text over here involves uh, the description of how Avram brings Hagar and Ishmael out to uh, to Mecca, leaves them there in the desert with nothing. Uh, once um, Hagar realizes that this is God's will, she accepts it, uh, but then she runs out of water. She has to run around. She runs between these two mountains, Safa and Marwa, seven times looking for water. Uh, modern day uh, Muslims perform a pilgrimage where they also run back and forth between Safa and Mara seven times in one day. But if we scroll down a little further, actually maybe to the next page even, um, page eight, this is where um, the hadith has a similar story to the one that we saw in Pirkei Durabi of the Yasser, right? You look over here quickly, Avram comes to see Ishmael, Um, He doesn't find Ishmael there when he asks, oh, you're exactly in the right place. Um, When he asks, here in the second paragraph, right? when he asks Ishmael's wife about Ishmael, she says, oh, he's gone off in search of our livelihood. He then asks the wife about their way of living and their condition. And she says, we are living in misery. We are living in hardship and destitution. She complains to him. Avram says, oh, okay. when your husband comes home, please tell him that, you know, I came to see him and tell him to change the threshold of the gate of his house. Ishmael comes home. Uh, he says, oh, has anybody visited you? And the wife says, yeah, an old man who looks like this and this came, asked me how I was doing. I told him about how we're living in hardship and poverty. And uh, Ishmael says, well, did he advise you anything? And she says, oh yes, he told me to change the threshold of my gate. Ishmael says, it was my father and he has ordered me to divorce you, go back to your family. So then Ishmael divorces her. He marries a different woman. Avraham stays away for a while, then comes and visits them again. He asks the second wife how they're doing. The second wife says, oh, we are prosperous and well off. We have everything in abundance. Uh, She thanks God. Avraham says, what kind of food do you eat? She says meat. He says, what kind of water? What do you drink? She says water. And then Avraham asks God to bless their meat and their water. And they're given it with abundance. And uh, Ishmael comes home. And finds out about all this and, and understands that his father has approved of his wife. Now, I thought that this was a very interesting variant on our midrash when I asked uh, Dr. Shari Lohan, she thinks the Midrash is the older text and that this is a uh, you know a, a variant of that midrash. Um, I thought it was interesting because it seemed to me that in the midrash, the goal was to find out, you know, is this uh is is Ishmael's wife. Hospitable is she open to other people? Is she generous? In the in the hadith, the goal is not really to find out about the wife and her stance to other people, but more about her stance to God. Right? Is she willing to sort of accept everything as it is, or is she going to complain about it? Um, and I think that you know, I, I don't know that much about Islam, but my sense is that the uh, ability to sort of just accept everything as being God's will is very important, and so it would make sense for the Islamic text for that to be. You know the test of whether she's the right wife. Whereas in the Midrash, it's it's not really right. Avram isn't interested in kind of what she accepts about her life or what she doesn't. He's interested in kind of her her perspective on the people around her. Right? Is she generous? Is she open to other people? Right? That's kind of the quality that we see sort of in throughout Genesis as being associated with Avram, and then kind of something that he might look for. Um, and um and I guess I, I would just maybe end with that, Midrash, because I think first of all, the idea that there's this kind of an, an afterlife to Avram and Ishmael Avram and Ishmael seems seems really lovely to me, right? That they sort of have this continued relationship that Avram knows, uh, sort of cares about Ishmael, knows who his his spouse is, that Ishmael realizes that all along Avram has loved him. Um and I think also this sense of of um of a distinctly Jewish value being this idea of kind of being open to other people and sort of generous towards other people. And I guess, maybe given that it is 802, I'll conclude our class by saying, uh, that's a bracha that I would like to wish for all of us, that it's a year where we are kind of open to the world around us, where we're able to sort of respond generously to the people that we encounter. um, And that we, like Sarah, find that like, you know, things that we didn't even imagine uh could happen for us are able to to occur in this new year um it's been really lovely learning with you Lilinas, thank you so much for being such an excellent moderator um if anybody I'm not in a hurry so if anybody has any other comments I'm happy to stay on but I don't want to keep anybody uh past the time allotted so thank you
0: thank you so much Rabbi Wendy we also have some thank yous in the chat so well, thank you so much Wendy thank you, thank you. I loved it Thank
2: you. Okay, great. Shana Tova, everybody. Thank Uh you. So we're open to wonder. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I love that because that's a Hana Hana quality that Hana inherited that somehow. Yeah. You know, from from Sara Imenu. Totally. I love it. Thank you so much. thank Thank you. Thank you so
0: much. It was Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Shanatoba. Okay, Shana everyone. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you so much.